We are going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today, so do turn there in your Bible if you've got one. It's always good to have scripture open to be following along. And as I speak today, I have just one aim in this, in this message, is that I want to finish today's sermon with everybody still awake, which is lofty ambitions for a preacher, I know you're saying, because like you really set your goals high, Duncan. But we have to be constantly watchful for those of us that have been following Jesus for any length of time, that as we hear Jesus's words, and perhaps hear the same thing coming from his mouth, that Jesus's words can start to lose their potency. I was speaking to someone this week about um, the passage that I'm speaking on today, and they said to be aware of the lullaby effect. Just the idea that um, we maybe hear these words that we've heard from Jesus that we're perhaps over familiar with or they're overused or perhaps words that have been taken out of context in society and used at large from Jesus's mouth or, or have been repeated ad nauseum in uh, school assemblies over the time. That the words of Jesus to us, perhaps maybe they don't send us to sleep, but they perhaps become helpful wisdom or pithy sayings. Words that we hear them, but they just don't really register. Because the words of Jesus that we're going to hear today are words of countercultural transformation. And it is potency that is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. And if we are to skim over these words, if we just let them pass us by, then we will miss an essential part of our very identity, who we are who we're called to be and how we are to live. So let's get straight into it. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. This is the third part in our Sermon on the Mount series. So we're, we're joining mid-sermon but very much, well not so much mid, very much the beginnings of the sermon that we're, we're getting to grips with Jesus's tone of voice, where he's at in the message. So verse 13 as he's beginning, as we continue to begin, continue with the sermon. Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And I'm calling today's message, Be Distinct. And Jesus here is using two images of salt and of light, two metaphors that he's using together for a single emphasis. And I'm going to try and sum up essentially what I think Jesus is driving at here in just one sentence. And then we are going to unpack it for the rest of the sermon today. This is Jesus's call on us and on all of his people to be radically and uncompromisingly distinctive in the way that we live so that we will have kingdom potency to those around us. Let me say that again. This is Jesus' call on us to be a people who are radically and uncompromisingly distinctive in the way that we live so that we will have kingdom potency to those around us. 
And uh, Chloe mentioned it just before, very helpfully, but last week we were looking at being a, a wholehearted people, that are people who, where Jesus is encouraging us through the Beatitudes to be a people who, who give our whole self to following him and devoting ourselves to Jesus and his way, whatever that might cost us. And here, Jesus is starting to develop that, that further by saying, look, if you start to live this, if you start to be able to cultivate this kind of lifestyle and, and how you are in the world, it will start to have an impact in the world around you. Now, up to this point in the sermon, we've, we've looked at the Beatitudes so far, those blessed are statements. And up to this point, Jesus really has been quite invitational and visionary. He said, look, if you come and, and live out these Beatitudes statements, if you have a life that embodies some of these values or embodies the, some of these ways of being, you will have a good life. You'll have a flourishing life. Your life will be, as he puts it, blessed. So come on in. And it's, it's kind of it's aspirational. He's saying, look, direct your life towards this. But now we're seeing slightly a slight change of tone. He's not saying now come and be. He's saying... He begins by saying, you are salt and you are light. And remember at this point, he's talking to his disciples. He, it's a, continu a continuation of verse 11 that we looked at yesterday, uh, last week, where Jesus was in the flow of speaking generally into the crowds that have gathered around. And he said, blessed are those. And then in verse 11, he switches and he looks the disciples right in the eye and says to them, blessed are you. And then goes on to talk about how they're blessed because the, if they're persecuted. And he's in the same mode here now. He speak, looks to them and says, you are salt and you are light. And it's worth remembering at this point, Jesus has only just met these men. Some of them, he has met them as recently as just 15 verses ago. He comes across them and says, come and follow me. And if we think the many different ways that Jesus could have framed this whole proposition, he could have said to them, look, you may at some point become salt and light. Or look, if you put the work in, if you pass all of your salt and light exams, you will become salt and light. Or he could have been a bit more cautious and said, look, I, I guess you have potential. There is an outside shot. Like, let's not rule anything out. I, mean, I guess maybe you could become Sultan like one day. And that would very much be the culture of that day. These disciples, they're with Jesus and their understanding of him so far is, is essentially that he's a rabbi. And the, the culture would be, look, if you're with a rabbi and following him as a disciple, if you want to be something in that rabbi's eyes, you have got to work. You have got to prove yourself. I mean, we are talking constantly, day in, day out, day, night. You have got to be making yourself into something. For the rabbi to notice you, you have got to be excellent. And you know, actually the culture today isn't all that different. The message of today is you can be anything you want to be. You have absolutely unlimited potential inside of yourself to be whatever you want to be. Which sounds amazing, doesn't it? I love the sound of that. But do you know the poison of that narrative? Is that it says to, to people, if you want to be something, 
you've got to make it happen. That the responsibility lies entirely on you, your shoulders. You want to be something, you've got to work. You've got to prove yourself. It places an overwhelming pressure on all of us that we've always got to be performing. We've always got to be doing something that will get us noticed. We've always got to be excellent. We've got to make ourselves valuable. That is the kingdom of this world. But here Jesus is bringing the kingdom of heaven to these people and to his listeners. The transformative power of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is sat down on this mountain with these 12 guys and probably to try and remember his name, he's got a note on his iPhone trying to make sure that so that he knows who they are. He's like, well, Peter, he's pretty easy to remember. He never shuts up. Bartholomew? Who's that? But yet he, he barely knows them and yet he's still able to say to them, you are from now salt and light. Because he's not trying to size them up and get the measure of them. He's not looking into their life and their track record and recognising some achievement that they've already done. Now here he speaks over them their new identity. He redefines them and says, this is now who you are. Jesus doesn't look to our performance. He's, he's not looking at our CV. He's not trying to suss out, do you have any impressive attributes or not? Can I use you? Are you going to be useful to me in my kingdom? No, we've just seen in the Beatitudes that come before, Jesus is calling upon all of those who the world despises and the world discards. And he says, I'm going to draw you to myself and I'm going to make you into something. The invitation into the kingdom of God is an invitation to be free from the tyranny of having to try and make something of ourselves and live excellently and always be performing so that we might be noticed. That Jesus says that come to me all of you who are who are weak, come to me who are broken, who are useless in the eyes of this world, who are who are anxious that maybe you won't have a part to play. I'll speak over you meaning and purpose and make you into a people of impact in this world. Jesus, as he gets into this sermon and starts to frame this whole sermon, he's saying that I'm not bringing before you a, a program of, of moral improvement, but I'm drawing you into the kingdom of transformation. And this kingdom of transformation, he says to them, you are salt. And salt in first century Near East culture had an unbelievable number of uses. They would use it to, to sprinkle on, our, on food as we would, but they would also use it to signify friendship. Apparently, if you did that in the presence of other people, you were saying, hey, we're buddies. They would use it to, to make covenants with one another, uh, which we don't really do. And if we did, we probably wouldn't use salt. They even used it as a form of currency, the phrase. Someone not being worth their salt came from Roman soldiers being paid in salt. But the primary use for, for salt that would have been in most people's ears and understanding when Jesus says these words is they use it as a, as a preservative. They would use salt like we use a fridge to 
stop meat and fish going off. So they would take a, a piece of, they'd get a big piece of fish and then they would get, in order to make sure this big fish that they just caught doesn't go off and that they can keep it for a while, they'd get a load of salt, something fundamentally different from the meat itself, from the fish itself, and they would, they would then put the salt on the fish and the salt would then go into this big fish and disrupt the biological processes that are going on and would prevent the decay of this piece of fish in the hot Near Eastern weather. That salt is a potent disruptor of the decaying process. But only if it's pure salt. Often what would happen was that salt is, it was known for all of these properties, but it was so easy for impurities to start to get mixed into the salt. Really easy for salt to then start to get compromised. And what would happen is that the, the very substance of the salt would start to degrade and it would become unsalty. It would become useless and it wouldn't work. This is what Jesus is driving at in verse 13, where he says, if salt, if the salt loses its taste, it's no longer good for anything. And Jesus here is drawing up a fascinating image. Jesus is saying the world is, is like this big fish and it is decaying. But I'm calling you, my disciples, to be, to be different, something fundamentally different, to be distinct from the fish, but distinct from the world. I'm calling you to be salt. But, he says, I'm not calling you to be outside of it. I'm calling you to go into the world. I'm calling you to be, be salt and to go in and disrupt the de decaying process. Jesus is saying here and calling us to be ones who go into the world. And he's saying, look, I want you to live your lives fully engaging with the world, but be radically and visibly distinct from it in how you live your life. In this whole sermon from chapters five through to seven, Jesus is laying out his manifesto for kingdom living. He's laying out a whole way of, of being in the world, a whole way of living and acting and thinking and even perceiving. And it just about in every way, he is turning the world's values upside down and the ideals of the world are turning on their head. And what Jesus is saying here is that if you do embody my way, there is no, way, no other way for it. You will be distinct. And as always, context is incredibly important for us. We must remember he's saying all of this directly following on from verses 10 through to 12, where he's saying you are going to get persecuted. And Jesus is saying, look, there is going to be a tremendous amount of cost to you living in this distinct way. And not only when there's persecution and the possibility of that happening, it means that there is pressure pressure to back down, pressure to give in, pressure to compromise. And Jesus is saying here, look, when the pressure is on, do not lose your taste. Steadfastly refuse to compromise. Stay salt. And I see this refusal to compromise in Revelation Church. 
I see a salty people. I have watched over the last couple of years as we've been at church, I've watched people in financial uncertainty quit their jobs that they've just got, even though they're not quite sure where their next paycheck to pay their heating bills are gonna come from, because they've realized that this company they've joined, their ethics are just far too far away from the, the, the ethics of the kingdom of God. I've seen people in jobs where there's just an expectation that you will work Sundays, but these people have just been able to make a stand and said, no, I, I simply refuse to take a shift on a Sunday because gathering as God's people is too important. I remember a conversation recently with a student who said, look, every, literally every single one of my flatmates takes hard drugs every, like regularly, but their whole posture was just one of resolve. I, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to fall into that. I am going to quietly live a life that is different. And I think there's even a saltiness to being connected to church today. 10 months into this pandemic, 10 months of doing church online, just refusing to believe that, that church is shut down, refusing to believe that God's stopped his activity in this world, continuing to believe that community is vital and it can happen through a screen, just not giving in and saying, I'm just going to disconnect and have a morning in bed. And I think even more generally to still be going as a disciple of Jesus in an urban progressive city like Manchester with all of its cultural pressures to give in and start to live this way or that way or, or believe this about that and through 10 months of online church there is there must be a saltiness to you and Jesus here would say keep going don't give in stay salt and he'd say, keep going because this is who you are. This invitation into a life of pressure it is so important to know that this isn't just an invitation to an assignment, something that you may, we may or may not succeed in, that we've been asked to do. No, these are words that Jesus is speaking into the very depths of our souls. He's saying, you are salt. I have redefined you and recreated you to live uncompromisingly for me. He's saying to us, I have made you for a time such as this, that when the pressure is on and when the pressure increases and compromise seems the only option, I have made you to be able to resist. This is the transformative power of the kingdom of God. It is to stay salt to go into the world, to live differently, to be a distinct people. And maybe for some of us, we just need to hear these words of Jesus and say, actually, I am going to choose to believe this and receive that as part of my identity of who I am. That I am salt. That today maybe is just a moment for you to make again. You, perhaps you've been feeling the pressure. You've been feeling the, oh, maybe I could just do this. And, and perhaps I can still live for Jesus and still take this on or do that. Actually, this is just a moment for you to resolve once again. However much pressure I find myself in, under. However secular the culture gets and however far away from the kingdom of God and its values it gets. I am going to uncompromisingly embody the kingdom.
because the impact of it can be even more significant than we realise. Jesus goes on in verses 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Once again, Jesus is, is saying some very similar things here. He's saying that the world is dark, but I have made you to be light. You will be in the darkness, but you will be different from it. You will be distinct from it. And the imagery that Jesus is using here is, is a small terracotta lamp that they would use to, to light up the whole house. Their whole house would just be one room typically, and it would be a small lamp with a really small flame. But the effect that it would have on the whole room would be huge. You just think of a time where you have been in total darkness, power cut happens, which obviously in 21st century Western world is absolute panic stations. It's a bit like when Rob cuts out from being able to lead worship, like, ah, I don't know what to do. Darkness descends on us. And then someone lights a candle or a phone torch. Just a small amount of light, but totally transforms the room. And what Jesus is saying here is that this is a little tiny lamp and it's, it's vulnerable. I mean, the flame would just be flickering, seemingly totally insignificant in its size, not actually really giving much out, but totally transformative. That's what Jesus is driving at in verse 15, where he says that this is a small lamp light, but it's properly positioned. It gives light to all in the house. And this can sound maybe like a, a pressure to us. Oh, we've got to give light to all in the house. But I find this imagery so helpful from Jesus. That these lamps, these terracotta lamps, they would be so fragile. And their flame would flicker and waver. That Jesus isn't saying that you'll be some big, bold light that I'm expecting to just have unceasing brightness. He's saying, no, my expectation is that you will flicker and waver. There will be times where we don't burn as brightly as we could in the way that we might be distinct from the world. But he's saying that I'm not calling you into being a, a blazing light of perfection. It's, it's more he's speaking over a promise. He's saying that I'm going to take vulnerable, fragile, flickering lights and I will use them to transform the darkness. That as we enter into his kingdom, as we continually choose to embody his way and, and make mistakes along the way and then and perhaps grow in other ways, as we grow in our distinctiveness, as we follow him, he's saying the effect of your presence to the world around you will be a potent one. This light, small, seemingly insignificant, but potent. And that's exactly what we see in the salt. You think you don't get a massive lump of salt and try and use that, but it's, it's tiny little grains of salt. It looks so insignificant. It's, think of, you have them on the kitchen surface, you just brush them off onto the side, or perhaps if you're more responsible, you wipe them up with a cloth. But the presence of salt, think how little salt you need when seasoning a dish, or if you do preserve your meat with it, the presence of salt is so potent. 
Jesus is not looking for big. Jesus isn't looking for big actions, big personalities. He's not looking for big churches. He's not looking for a church, a, a, a country or an area where the church scene is big. He's sitting in front of 12 men and he's about to start a revolution. He is looking for people who want to be potent for him and his kingdom. He's looking for people who will commit to praying for 10 people on their streets and pray for them day after day after day and perhaps get a card and stick something through their letterbox saying, look, I'm praying for you. Here's my number if you want any, any specific prayer. He's looking for people who, when they're hanging out with their mum friend and their, their friend is saying just how anxious they are about their, how much school their kid is missing and, and what that's gonna, how it's going to affect them long term, that actually has a moment and says, I'm, I'm going to share how actually I have struggled with the same thing. But you know what? I've been praying about it and it's really helped me. Can I pray for you? He's looking for people when rumours are flying around the workplace or university and about someone that you're not really that keen on. Rather than trying to kind of lean in and catch the latest, you just take a moment and think, actually, how can I be distinct here? How can I perhaps just withdraw from that moment and even think, how can I text that person to be a blessing to them and to encourage them in this time? So the, the call to be salt and light, it can seem overwhelming, can't it? And think, oh, there's so much I could do, so much that maybe Jesus is asking of me. But it doesn't take much at all. Start small, make a habit, keep a rhythm. Seemingly small, insignificant actions, distinct for the kingdom, can be potent in the darkness and the decay. And lives lived like this cannot help but provoke. Salt and light, they disrupt the decay and they disrupt the darkness. And as we've seen, Jesus is saying, look, you will be persecuted. You will be reviled. You will be hated. They will gossip about us around the water cooler. They will unfollow us on Instagram. They will ghost us on WhatsApp or, or maybe Signal. And of course, worse. But he's saying that that won't be how everybody responds. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A potent people are a polarising people. Either it leads to us being persecuted, Jesus says, or it will lead to people praising our Father in heaven. And this phrase, good works, that Jesus talks about in verse 16 it's, it's very much in line with the righteousness that we were looking at last week. It's not so much about actions and what we do, but he's, he's appealing to us having hearts positioned towards living for Jesus in a way that we live for him we, we just, with everything that we've got. We surrender it to him. And he's saying that when you live your lives from that posture, when you start to position your heart like that, it's noticeable. People see it it gets a reaction. And as we show up consistently from that place in whatever context, there's a promise here. He's saying people will be drawn to following the one that you follow, to giving glory to the one 
that we glorify. And so we may not be liked, we may not be popular, but we will continually be bringing glory to our Father in heaven. In this call, this passage, for us to be a people of salt and light, Jesus here, he is redefining our understanding of who we are as a people. We are, we're a small people, but he says you are salt and light. And we, we might be small, we might seem insignificant by many measures, but he's saying to us, as you live distinctively in the way of the kingdom, you will have potent impact on the world around, potent impact on the city of Manchester. What we're going to do now is we're going to sing a portion of the song, uh, just uh, the, one of the songs that we sang before. And really what I want us to do is, is just to have a reflection, just a moment to think, what is it that God's maybe speaking to me about this morning? particularly from that message that I just shared. How, how might he be seeking to encourage me? How might he be seeking to challenge me? We'll sing for a little bit. I just want you to be asking that question of yourself. What is God asking of me or saying to me? And how might I be responding? And then after we've sung for a little bit, I'll be back to close in prayer for us.